Welcome to another edition of the Full Contact Podcast. I don't have any savvy remarks to begin the show. We're just going to get right into it. You have myself, Shuri Phillips-Keaton, along with me, as always, Nick Sapina. Nick, how are you feeling today? Well, uh, Sharif, it's been a long week. Obviously, we gave our Super Bowl predictions on the last episode of the podcast, and I have to say, um, I'm hurt. I'm not doing well. Like, I don't think I could have been any more wrong in the overall predictions in terms of score. Like some of the schematic things I basically got right, but it doesn't really matter because I was rooting for the Chiefs and we're, we're going to get into the Super Bowl a little bit, but I'm hurting. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I feel that. It feels like everything we knew about football and about the, the Buccaneers and the Chiefs going to the game pretty much went out the window because, I mean, Tom Brady – I mean, had a a good game, you know, three touchdowns, a little over 200 yards, but like the Bucks defense was like on a tear. And I mean, even though we know the Bucks are a good defense, I mean, we didn't see that coming. That game was literally not competitive before halftime. And I mean, I don't know who expected that. So definitely feel that. I feel like I've been speckledorfed and I know that's not even a real word, but that's that's just what that game made me feel like. So, But we'll get into that. That'll actually be our first topic. We'll also get into some Russell Wilson talk. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks QB recently had some pointed comments about how many hits he has taken. And we'll get into that. And then obviously, as Nick, you've been pointing out in various group chats, where it seems to have created a social media firestorm with everybody pretty much saying, to the point, Russell Wilson's about to get traded, so we'll get into all that. And then lastly, we can't have a full contact podcast if we don't talk about Carson Wentz. I mean, I'm, I'm just joking, we can. But, you know, we normally talk about Carson Wentz, and obviously the Eagles have made it clear that they intend to trade him as early. Well, it, the report was as early as this week, but we'll see if that happens. But, I mean, we got a bunch of trade rumors to get into. But first, before we get into all of that juicy content – Nick, please give us your quick hitters. Sure thing, Sharif. Now, it's time for this week's edition of Quick Hitters. All right. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo says that large New York venues can uh, start to reopen at 10% capacity. So that's good news for all of the major New York sports teams and their fans. Um, The Washington football team signed quarterback Taylor Heineke after (laughs) an impressive one-game performance. Uh, to a two-year deal worth in the range of around $8 million. And lastly, former NFL uh, head coach Marty Schottenheimer, who is top 10 all-time in NFL wins, passed away at age 77. So our best th- or our thoughts go out to him and his family and everybody involved. Nick, thank you for that. And definitely our uh, condolences go out to the Schottenheimer family. And, you know, Happy for Taylor Heineke. I guess it's sort of the Nick Foles effect, how he can turn one to a few games into a two-year deal. But, you know, good for him. And I'm glad to see that, you know, things are starting to reopen around the country. First, we'll go into the game that pretty much befuddled everyone who watched it, unless you are a Tom Brady or Tampa Buccaneers fan. Because if you are, everything happened as it should. But we'll go into the Super Bowl on Sunday. Uh, Tom Brady led the Buccaneers 
to their first Super Bowl title, I believe, since 2003. Um, and I mean, there is a bunch of firsts for Tampa Bay. It was their first Super Bowl win since 2003. I think their first playoff appearance since like 2000. It, is, it was just a lot that happened. Um, but first, before we get into all that, Nick, what was what is your reaction to uh, the Bucks winning this year's Super Bowl? Sharif, I I have to I have to lay it all out there as plainly like clear as I possibly can. I was pissed off. <laughs> I, I was not happy, and you know. <laughs> I know that this will come across as me sounding like a hater and, you know, you can call me a hater if you want to. I am not a Tom Brady fan and I have a reason for it. Obviously our third member of the podcast, Brian Clegg uh, appreciates Tom Brady more than I do. And I want to explain why I am not a, a big fan of Tom Brady. He throughout his NFL career, like pretty much since uh, being a late round pick has been one of the more, and I, I, I don't mean this in a totally negative way, but a privileged player in the NFL, right? He's always been put up on this pedestal. He could do, he could do no wrong. And if you listen to guys like Tony Romo or Troy Aikman, when they broadcast his games, it's like, they just worship the guy. And you've seen it this year, Sharif, like he has not been an infallible player. He has not been perfect. He's made plenty of mistakes, and yet it's always, oh, Mike Evans did a bad job. He ran a bad route, or Chris Godwin dropped the ball when it was like out of his uh, catch radius. So I've always been a little bit frustrated with that. He always gets the benefit of the doubt. And then when you think about other things, like Tom Brady got everything he wanted this year. Like he he got Antonio Brown, he got Rob Gronkowski, he got Leonard Fournette. They really didn't need Leonard Fournette either. I'm I'm sorry. Like I know that uh, he was a help in the receiving game, but he wasn't really a boost in terms of uh, rushing ability over Ronald Jones. So it was like they got all of these luxuries, and I'm like, how does this guy get every single thing he wants, and we still praise him like he's doing it with nobodies? You know what I mean? And that that's always frustrated me. Right. And you know that is where I come from when I talk about uh, some of my dislike for Tom Brady. And and you know what? When you capitalize on all of those opportunities, you should win. Like when you have all of those things handed to you, you have this great offensive line, a great defense, you should win. So it does frustrate me a little bit. Now I will say for Tampa, for Bruce Arians, for all of the other guys on that team, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, I'm incredibly happy for them. I think that that's a, a hardworking group of guys. You get onto the defensive side. Vita Vea has battled injuries throughout his whole career. Um, guys like JPP, obviously he had his own uh, <laughs> incident with fireworks. But like, there are some real feel-good stories here. Uh, Carlton Davis, um, the, the whole secondary. I, coming into this season, I think pro football focus – had the Buccaneers secondary ranked, and I, I think this is kind of egregious, but ranked 32nd in the league. So it's like, it's hard not to feel happy for those guys. Um, unfortunately, it, it just comes down to me, for to Tom Brady. Um, I, I don't want to let that overshadow everything too much because he, he played a good game. He won the Super Bowl. It's deserved. 
I give him his respect, but uh, I, I wasn't thrilled with it. I will say this before I hand it back over to you. My favorite Tom Brady moment in this whole thing came yesterday during their boat parade when Tom Brady was absolutely shmammered uh, <laughs> and tossing the Lombardi trophy from boat to boat, uh, stumbling, needing help uh, to be ca- like needing help walking. I thought that was funny. I, I, he gained a little bit of respect for me for that. Fair enough. So my thing with, so first I'll give my reaction to them actually winning the Super Bowl and then some of the other thoughts that you were getting into. First, I think it's a great achievement for Tom Brady and, you know, the entire Buccaneers organization, because as we said, they haven't been, they haven't won a Super Bowl and I think they haven't been to a Super Bowl since 2003. Um, And I actually believe they haven't been to the playoffs since then as well. Um, I'll probably double check that, but it's, it's an enormous accomplishment for a team that a lot of people really were starting to point out this season was that they had the worst winning percentage in the history of the NFL to date. So it's hard not to say it's impressive. Um, and going into your point, now I wouldn't say I'm, I am not a Tom Brady fan, but I, I guess I wouldn't call myself a Tom Brady and this is going to sound negative, but it's the only way I can differentiate a Tom Brady follower. Because as you said, he is, no one is infallible. And Tom Brady, people will discount the bad things because they'll either blame those on everybody else except him. And all the good things, he's the only one who gets credit. Now, granted, you know, I think once you've reached that pinnacle of, you know, player, in any sport, LeBron, even though LeBron's like the opposite, it's like nothing he could do right. But it's just with Tom Brady. Now, he had just as big of a part to do with all of these six uh, Patriots Super Bowls as like Bill Belichick. I know that's a th- that was one of the themes this year was, is was it Tom Brady? Was it Bill Belichick? It was both. And I know it's the boring answer because that doesn't create a debate because you have to pick a side. But that's really what it comes down to. And then when you look at the Bucks. My only thing with the Bucks win and how people are talking about it is when the Bucks had that rough patch, I would say the middle of the season before they had their eight game winning streak to finish the season, it was, oh, you know, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin aren't really helping out Tom Brady. Gronk is uh, washed up compared to how he started the season. The defense is falling apart. And it was like none of that was really happening. I think people were just trying to make it seem like even though Tom Brady had as much to do in those losses as anybody else in the team, it was always like everybody else's fault. Brad, Bruce Arians, like who is he to talk about Tom Brady publicly in press conferences? And he, what has he done as a coach? Todd Bowles, what kind of defense is he calling to let Tyreek Hill catch 200 plus receiving yards in the first quarter. And it's just all this stuff. And then when you see in the Super Bowl, Tom Brady probably had the least to do with them winning the game per se. Because Now, he threw for three touchdowns, so he gets credit for that, but he only threw for 201 yards. I think Patrick Mahomes threw more than him, and he was under significantly harder circumstances. And then leading up to the game, you hear people saying like, oh, don't don't underestimate this Chiefs defense. And I'm like, really? Are we really going to go there to try to make it sound like 
Patrick Mahomes has as much. And then I know that most people feel like the Chiefs have weapons all over the place. Personally, they're only dependable weapons, and I've said this time and time again. Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, that's it. Miko Harmon, I mean, now I preface this by saying these are all NFL players. Miko Harmon is just your regular speed receiver. He's just a guy. He's just he a is. guy. Demarcus Robinson, just a guy. Hell, Sammy Watkins, in my opinion, just a guy. Like Clyde Edwards Elaire, he's more than just a guy, but I don't I wouldn't put him on the pedestal of like Tyreek Kill and Travis Kelsey. So but when you look at the Bucks, Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, maybe to a lesser degree, depending on how most people think about Ronald Jones was like top five in yards per carry. And he was playing well. Rob Gronkowski, who will probably go down as the greatest tight end ever played a game, if not like top three. Cameron Brait, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown. Like all of those weapons are guys who are more than just guys. And I on the Chiefs, I just named two. I just named only two guys that were not, you know, Jags. So, and then we know the Ted Bay Buccaneers defense is significantly better than the Chiefs defense. So, like, who really had the harder matchup? But you make it, people would make it sound like Patrick Mahomes had everything and Tom Brady had nothing. So, that is the annoying part. But ultimately, great win for the Buccaneers. I, before I pass it back to you, and I know I've been talking a while, but I disagree with the notion that this prevents uh, Patrick Mahomes from becoming the GOAT eventually. Now, granted, Tom Brady is the GOAT right now, and he will be the GOAT for the foreseeable future. But a Super Bowl loss does not preclude someone from becoming the GOAT. I mean, hell, Tom Brady's went the 10 Super Bowls, and he's won seven. So that means he's lost three, and he still gets to be the GOAT. So that was just my two cents on that. Yeah, I definitely agree with that sentiment. And you always have to make this kind of division when you're talking about, is somebody the greatest because of team achievement, or are they the greatest because of their individual play right and i mean i'm gonna say this if patrick mahomes first three years or well i guess technically four but first three playing careers uh years of his career are any indication of what his career is patrick mahomes will be the best quarterback that we've seen like I don't know. You know how you and I have always talked about Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady, and we kind of concede that Tom Brady is the quote-unquote GOAT because he has the Super Bowls, but we kind of both think that Rodgers is like a more talented player. Right. It, it could end up in that same kind of fashion where Patrick Mahomes is better. And I don't. I don't think that there's like – if Patrick Mahomes' career trajectory continues – he will be better. It's just hard to replicate seven seven Super Bowls. And I'm not saying that Mahomes needs to get there, but I am totally with you. Like he, he he'll still likely end up in that conversation at the very least. And he's definitely not excluded from that that list. Um I did wanna talk uh man, I kind of just lost it, but <laughs> I <laughs> I did want to talk a little bit more about, okay, there we go, about what we were, like, the notion that Patrick Mahomes played a really bad game. 
And honestly, it, this is something that we've talked about in an, in other ways before. Like, you know how we've talked about Carson Wentz and we're like, man, Carson Wentz has been trash. Right. And he was. Like, he was. And this was probably the worst game of Patrick Mahomes' career. But man, it really does just go to show you what happens when a quarterback who can be a little bit mobile, can can wiggle his way out of the pocket a little bit, uh, is under pressure immediately. Because Mahomes, to me, he objectively played well. But if you looked at his stats, it was like, yikes. You know what I mean? Like He was still making plays. He was still putting the ball mostly where it needed to be to give his receivers a chance to get it. And there were just several drops. Uh, the offensive line wilted under pressure. Obviously, uh, Eric Fisher was a huge factor uh, in, in his not being uh, able to play for this game. Um, but I still think that Patrick Mahomes played fine. You know, he wasn't his normal spectacular self, but he really individually did enough for his team to win. Just the whole team effort wasn't there for this one. So I'm actually going to have to disagree with you. Well, in this vein, I, I don't think Tom, Patrick Mahomes played awful, but I do think he underperformed given when you – and it was less about the numbers he put up, you know, 26, uh, 49. So he was a little over 50%. So, I mean, that was actually disappointing. Um, 270 yards, two picks, took three sacks, 50 QBR, uh, 52 quarterback rating. But when you when you at least from what I saw watching the game was, you know, the the Bucks learned their lesson from their last matchup. I believe was in Week Twelve. They gave the Chiefs nothing deep. So what in that situation? And I think that's what Patrick Mahomes was speaking to in his, uh, I guess you could say, end of uh, season uh, press conference, or you know, right after the Super Bowl. He does have to get – and the offense in general just has to get better with taking what's given to them. And the problem is Mahomes and, I would say, to an extension, Andy Reid did not do that. And they played right into the Bucks' hands. Um, I will say that he didn't play – like I said, he didn't play awful, but he definitely could have played better. Um, and just to I'll touch on this as a whole, I think going into the offseason, the Bucks obviously have – you know, guys that are coming up as far as contracts, you know, Leonard Fournette, uh, Shaq Barrett, I believe, um, Antonio Brown, you know, guys that were important to their success this season, Chris Godwin. So it'll be interesting to see if they can keep all of those guys and repeat with the same roster. When it comes to the Chiefs, only thing I could really suggest that they do in the future, in addition to taking what's given to them short and intermediate, they just got to run the football more. And this game was a perfect indication of it. When you see that they were overall, they ran the ball 17 times for 107 yards, 6.3 per carry. That's great. But you only ran the ball 17 times. And Clyde edwards Lair had nine of the 17. He got 64 yards. You know, good for 7.1 per clip. So I think that's one thing Andy Reid has to fix in the – off season going into next season is they just have to be more balanced on offense. Now it's cool in the regular season to throw the ball all over the yard 40, 50 times and beat a team by 10 points 
and Patrick Mahomes can throw for 404 TDs, you know, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey can get over 100 yards and maybe a touchdown apiece. But when it comes to the playoffs, especially the Super Bowl, you have to be able to run the ball or at least commit to it, especially in this matchup when, as you pointed out, uh, Eric Fisher. And, I mean, let's not forget, there were also an op- there were opt-outs on the Chiefs offensive line. Uh, uh, Laurent DeVornay-Tardif, who I believe was doing, you know, frontline healthcare worker uh, stuff in ca- his native Canada. Uh, Mitchell Schwartz was hurt. Eric Fisher was hurt. So it, it was just a lot of stuff going on. But ultimately, it comes down to taking what's given to them, run the football. And I think they'll be more competitive in future playoffs and Super Bowls. Yeah, my last note on it, and I, I want to get to your point of running the football more. Shreve, the Chiefs have pretty much told us like in how they play. They, they were like, we have Patrick Mahomes. We want to pass the ball all game. And then they draft Clyde Edwards-Elair. Really, I mean, they didn't, they didn't really draft him to be a bell cow running back. They drafted him to be like a receiving back who's on the field all game. You know what I mean? And it does so happen that in the Chiefs system, he can run the ball. But I definitely have my doubts as to whether like they're committed to him running the ball. You know what I mean? Because he is an undersized guy. He's not a typical like bruising kind of back. Like we saw Daryl Williams was preferred at times to Clyde Edwards Elair. So um I think that that's gonna be something that they're gonna need to kind of sure up like to get a real running mate with Clyde Edwards Elair. Just someone who can be a more prototypical bruiser that can take the I I don't want to say like 20 carries a game because they don't need to, but maybe 10 carries a game. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah, and I, I don't think they're committed to Edwards Elair in that way either, especially when you consider, even though you can say he's probably played, say, when he's healthy, 60, 70, maybe 80% of the snaps. And in the regular season, he only had 181 carries for four and four, basically four and a half yards per carry. In the postseason, he only had 15. Now, granted, you know, they had one less game because they were the one seed. I believe he was also limited and in their playoff games prior to the Super Bowl. But I think they're keen on not making Edwards Elair a bell cow back, which is fine. You can get by without that. But it also makes you wonder why take him, why take a running back in the first round when, as you said, what they've done in years past is wait till later in the round and just put a committee of sorts. Daryl Williams, Charkandrick West, uh, Spencer Ware. Spencer Ware. You know, Kareem Hunt, who was taken in the third round, but like when he was taken, he was the bell cow, but that's because, you know, they ended up with a gem. And not to say Edwards Elair is not a gem, but I think it's clear that they don't view him in that mold. And that's fine, but hopefully that means they'll re-sign Le'Veon Bell or that when Damian Williams comes back, maybe they can do a lightning and thunder kind of deal. Um, you know, preferable to both our ears. We're done talking about the Buccaneers and Tom Brady, so we can ease off of that. First, <laughs> we'll go into uh, Russell Wilson and his recent comments. Just to give a little background, the other day, 
which I would say is about a day or two ago. Russell Wilson, I believe, in an interview uh, with reporters via Zoom, said that he was frustrated by getting hit too much and that he wants more say in the moves that the Seattle Seahawks make as an organization. Um, And this looks like it's created quite the uh, firestorm on social media and media outlets alike. Nick, what what was your reaction to Russell Wilson's comments? All right. My very first reaction, when he says something about not wanting to be hit as much, I'm I'm like, I'm kind of giving him the side eye, like, okay. And I understand what he's saying. Like, no quarterback should want to be hit. Duh. But at the same time, Russell Wilson is like, I mean, you know how we, we kind of said Carson Wentz got sacked because... He hangs on to the ball too long. He, he tries to do too much in the pocket. Exactly. Russell Wilson does the same thing. He's just more successful at getting the balls out deep. But he still gets hit the same amount because he does that same thing. You know what I mean? Uh, Russell Wilson is a very hard guy to block for. Because you don't know what he's doing. Like, you're blocking. And next thing, next thing you know, he's out of the pocket scrambling back and forth sideline to sideline and yeah he's gonna get hit so um unless he has a plan to turn into like a statue quarterback like uh tom brady or peyton manning russell you're gonna get hit if you keep playing like that i'm i'm sorry i it's just how it's gonna be so i was a little bit frustrated that comment because he has to understand he's playing into defense's hands that way like he has to understand that it's not all a matter of um, having basically bad blocking. Uh, I will say this: like Seattle is one of the lower spenders at offensive line, and it's something that they should invest in a little bit more. Um, but he has to understand that he he's part of the problem. Now, I, I will say when you have, and I'm shifting gears a little bit. When you have a quarterback of Russell Wilson's caliber, stature, uh, image in the NFL, I feel like organizationally you have to kind of take into account what he wants in a team and all of that stuff. Uh, Otherwise, it's just like, what are you, what are you getting at? You know, because like, like we talked about Tom Brady. Tom Brady has always had input, and it's really part of why the Patriots were successful, even though he didn't have quite as much pull there. But it's definitely why he was successful in Tampa Bay this year. So Russell Wilson was the MVP for the first nine games of the season, eight games of the season. Um, And that is the kind of player that he can be. Um, Maybe if not for a full season, you know that he is one of the upper echelon quarterbacks. So you have to take into account what he's saying. Now, I will finish it off by kind of saying this. I don't think that there's anything here with Russell Wilson. Like, I think that the Seattle Seahawks and he are going to get on the same page. Um, But I enjoy the drama. Like, I'm a little bit of a Salty Eagles fan. I I have my own drama to deal with in Philadelphia, as we will get to soon with Carson Wentz. Um, And you know what? I want to see other other fan bases kind of have to deal with something similar. So I'm here for it. I I want to Uh see how all this stuff shakes out. Uh, So if it means Russell Wilson 
throw in a little bit of a pity party and maybe possibly forcing his way out of Seattle. I mean, I'm, I'm here for the drama. I'll sip the right. tea. And my thing with Russell Wilson. So yes, um, I sort of don't have as much empathy for his comments because one, you play football Two, He has a style that lends himself to getting hit more often than quarterbacks say like Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or even to a certain degree Patrick Mahomes. Russell Wilson is the ultimate extend the play kind of guy. And the problem is and we've said this with guys like Deshaun Watson, like they're not running quarterbacks, but they move so much in and out of the pocket. Sometimes they run into their own sacks. And, you know, obviously Russell Wilson probably does that more than anyone else. And some of, you know, sometimes it works out like the spectacular plays. We see those commercials where, like, he had a 3% chance of completing the pass to, like, Tyler Lockett in the corner of the end zone, and he does it. But some other times he's going to get smacked up by these defensive linemen and linebackers that he gives so much time to allow them to use their athleticism to rush the passer. Now, in this circumstance, it's also hard when you when you realize that the offensive line for Seattle, even though it's a running gag that, you know, their line sucks because they never put money into it. The past couple seasons, their pass block win rate, according to ESPN, has actually been top 10. So I don't think we can use that excuse for some of – now, obviously, no matter how good your offensive line is, you're going to get set. And especially if you play like Russell Wilson, a la, you know, like Carson Wentz, you're probably going to lead the league in sacks every year because you you extend the play, which, like I said, it works out sometimes, does not work out some. Now, Seattle, because of various reasons, does not have a lot of money to pay guys to come to Seattle. They're already paying Russell Wilson big money, and they got to save money for guys like DK Metcalf when they come up. And I mean, even because of that, they're probably not going to re-sign Chris Carson, even though Chris Carson has been good for them ever since he got the chance to be the starter. And they're probably going to have to make a decision on Rashad Penny at some point. So ultimately, I think his comments about getting hit so much is, I would say I have 50% empathy, 50% I don't care. Because like I said, some of the sacks he brings upon himself, mostly because he's trying to create a play. And as we've said about guys like Carson Wentz, sometimes you just have to live the fight another down. Sometimes you just got to chuck the ball out of bounds as much as you hate it. And that way you save yourself from getting hit. Bingo. <laughs> that's it. I mean, I, I mean, that's really it. Like he is respond. I think I saw a stat and I don't know who put it out. It was someone on Twitter, Russell Wilson, created the second most sacks from from the quarterback position like he ran like like you were saying he ran into his own sacks so i mean yeah you can want better blocking but maybe your style of play is why you're getting sacked right just and now i wanted to address the other portion of his comments where he said he wanted more say in moves that were made by the seahawks such as their offensive coordinator position um, now we've actually seen this off season so far with guys like Deshaun Watson 
Matthew Stafford, Carson Wentz, that quarterbacks are more willing than ever before to voice their displeasure with an organization or, you know, with other players. And Russell Wilson be wanting to be more involved. Now, I think every quarterback, if you're that level, should be involved. Like, if you're Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, if you're either a perennial all-pro candidate or even if you're a perennial pro bowler, so that could include guys like that aren't in that tier, but say like, I would say Drew Brees, but, you know, he's pretty much noodle arm at this point. So, you know, think of guys, maybe Ryan Tannehill, like those guys should be involved because they're that good. Russell Wilson is clearly in that category. Now, they already have hired an offensive coordinator uh, by the name of uh, Shane Waldron or Waldron. I'm not sure how you say his last name. Um, Because of Russell Wilson's input. But I'm not sure how much other input he wants. And obviously this is leading to could he be traded? I don't know if he could because of the – now these are just some of the numbers before I pass it back to you. If they trade Russell Wilson before June 1st, and I'm getting this by um, uh, Brady Henderson of ESPN, they would incur $39 million in dead money on their cap for the 2021 season. Now, also, Russell Wilson has a no trade clause. So it's basically Deshaun Watson-esque where they're probably, if they are trading him, if they were to trade him, it'd be somewhere Russell Wilson would want to go and nothing, no ifs, ands, or buts. Now, this is obviously not the same situation because Russell Wilson doesn't want out per se or at least has not voiced that. But some of the trade talk I think is very premature especially because Seattle would be in deep with so much money when the seller cap is expected to decrease. So, Yeah, I agree with that. I, I just don't see this move actually happening, um, especially because like Russell Wilson has stated that he wants to be in Seattle. He wants to create a, a long, memorable like bond with DK Metcalf. He thinks that that pairing can be special and, I mean, if you watched football, you'd probably agree. Um, I, I did see a report today that Seattle is a little bit displeased, like the Seattle organization is displeased with Russell Wilson. Probably his uh, voicing of his opinions with regards to the offensive line, because I mean, Seattle's Seattle's not dumb. Like the organization knows that he plays into the sacks, and obviously he had some level of say in that uh, hiring that you were mentioning. So uh, I can see where they would be frustrated, but I think that this is really nothing more than trade rumors. You know, people are just excited to see some some fireworks. So that's Before all I Before we move on to Carson Wentz, just to your point about, you know, his play style being at fault for some of the sacks, uh, Wilson has been sacked 394 times in 144 regular season games. According to ESPN stats and information research, that's the most in a player's first nine seasons since the 1970 AFL-NFL merger. Randall Cunningham is next at 366. So that's just for some context. Then we'll go to one of our favorite topics, 
to discuss on this show. Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, it was reported sometime over the weekend, uh, at least from the report I'm reading by a combination of Chris Mortensen and Adam Schefter, that the Philadelphia Eagles are expected to trade Carson Wentz in the coming days. Now, it was it could have happened as early as this week, but it's already Thursday. We haven't seen anything concrete, so it'll probably move into next week. But more on to that. Nick, what is your reaction to this news and what it means going forward? Well, I was a little bit surprised at first. It seemed like the uh, Nick Sirianni hire was – I mean, we talked about this when we talked about the, the hire. We've kind of figured that it was – mostly just uh, to revamp Carson Wentz, to, re- uh, to rehab his career, to get him back to playing closer to 2017 Carson Wentz. That's what the consensus pretty much was at the time. And then you start to hear reports that you know Carson Wentz um, is still unhappy, that he wants to play with Frank Reich, and that the Eagles are nearing a trade. And I think that that came as early as Friday, it, it might have been Saturday, and then you started to think like, all right, a Carson, w- a Carson Wentz trade is imminent. And it was initially rumored that the two major teams, with there being some others involved, were the Colts and the Bears. And a lot of people speculated the Colts because of Carson Wentz's relationship with Frank Reich. The Bears have, uh, I believe, John DiFilippo. So that was another pairing that Carson Wentz is uh, fond of. And then... You even started to hear some, well, I guess I guess they were bogus, but some rumors of what the trade package might look like, and that was a first round pick from the Bears plus Tariq Cohen, plus I think it might have been a third round pick or something like that, and that seemed fair. Like honestly, when Carson went, when we were talking about Carson once before with his, uh, with his salary and everything, even though the team that trades for him won't have to pay that full thing because of that dead cap hit that the Eagles will have to take it kind of seemed like, all right, you might get a third rounder or a fourth rounder for him because a team still is taking on some level of risk. And then the rumor comes out that the Eagles don't want to settle for anything less than not one, but two first round picks. And I, I'm a little, I'm at a loss for words. Like I, I I understand trying to uh, maximize the value you can get for a player, but, in what world does anybody think that Carson Wentz is worth two first round picks right now? Like there's quarterbacks in the draft that you could get with those picks who you don't have to pay nearly as much. So uh, I was a little bit surprised at that. And I'm Sharif. I'm a, I'm a little bit nervous because I don't want Howie Roseman to get so greedy here because we understand that there's a ton of quarterbacks in the market right now. Like a guy like Derek Carr could hit the market. And he, he might be cheaper than Carson Wentz. So let's say the Eagles are most closely paired to the Bears and the Colts. And, you know, they have some level of leverage because both of those teams are interested in Carson Wentz. And let's say the Colts say, you know what? I'm tired of you, Howie Roseman. I'm just going to go deal with the Raiders. I'm going to see what it can. I'm going to see what it takes for me to get Derek Carr. All right. So now the Colts have Derek Carr, and now you've lost all your leverage. Now it's like the Bears are looking at you like, all right, it's just us. Like, if you're going to get rid of him, 
you know, there's really no, no incentive for us to give you anything. So I, I'm a little bit of the mindset that kind of got to strike while the iron's hot here. Um, and I understand that you don't want to just give Carson Wentz away. I totally get it. But at the same time, like, this isn't a viable quarterback situation. You can't realistically bring Carson Wentz back to Philly because he's going to be upset. There's, I mean, there's no way Jalen Hurts is going to be happy about having Carson Wentz back. So you know that something has to change. And uh, I kind of think that you take the deal that you can get, and I, I still hope that it's the Colts because I think that the Colts actually offer uh, a fix to Carson Wentz where I kind of look at the Bears and I'm like, the Bears are just the Eagles in 2020 all over again. No receiving options, like <laughs> a not great offensive line. They have a running back. But, um, yeah, I, I do want to say I'm going to let you go. But I have a little bit of an off-the-wall kind of thing of how I would approach the Eagles quarterback situation. But I want I want you to give your thoughts so first. My first reaction to reading these news over the weekend was I'm confused. And you you alluded to that in the beginning of your opening statement was we thought that the primary reason for hiring Nick Sirianni, who was on Coach Frank Wright's staff for the past two or three seasons, was to rehabilitate Carson Wentz or, you know, fix his game. We thought that was the main reason Nick Sirianni was hired, because otherwise they could have hired someone like Deuce Daly or some of these other uh, head coaches that got jobs other places and the Eagles were waiting to fire Doug Peterson, it was said to either hire him or um, Josh McDaniels. But the fact that they're saying they're still going to trade him, I mean, it just baffles me because it seems like this organization does not know what it wants to do. And Nick Sirianni just got there. So I don't, I'm not blaming him. I just think Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Lurie, I think they're, it just seems like their decision-making is very fickle right now. Like they just wanted Doug Peterson out of there. It didn't matter what. And now it doesn't seem like they really have a plan. Then you hear statements of they're not trading Carson Wentz unless they can get a Matthew Stafford type of deal. And I'm sorry, like you, you may not get one. You may not get one first round pick for Carson Wentz with the way he played this past year. And obviously we're not going to rehash some of, you know, his decline had to do with the team and not just all of him. You know, I acknowledge that. But even with that being said, you may not get one first round pick for Carson Wentz with the way he just played and his contract. So it's, I don't know. It, it just seems like, like you said, that the Eagles are being greedy and aren't really realistically looking at the situation like, okay, you have a quarterback who is probably the worst he's been since he's been in the league. Not to say he can't get back to being an average to above average quarterback like he was for most of his tenure with the Eagles. But this year was terrible, not just for Carson Wentz, but for the entire team. So I don't know if you're getting that first round pick. You might be able to get a couple seconds and a third and maybe a usable player, say like a Tariq Cohen. I just don't think you're getting a first round pick. Now, I agree with you. I don't think you can bring back Carson Wentz because with all this talk about, you know, they wanted to fix him, but now that they've hired Nick Sirianni, they're still going to trade him so they can make Jalen Hurts the guy. 
Carson Wentz, even though he's not speaking to anyone publicly, he reads all this stuff. And the Eagles have to do something soon because on the third day of the league year, which we now know, even though, you know, before it was just an arbitrary date, we now know the new league year starts on March 17th. So I guess if Carson Wentz is still on the Eagles roster on March 20th, they owe him $10 million as a roster bonus. So the move is getting made before that because I doubt they want to pay him $10 million and then trade him because they're also going to take a cap hit of $34 million when Carson Wentz is inevitably gone. So it just seems like this situation just gets worse the more we hear about it. But I'm actually interested to hear how you would approach this quarterback controversy. Yeah, so this is definitely the radical um, approach. And obviously, you know, as much as I like Wentz and I would like him to be here, that, that situation has, that, that, that ship has sailed. It's, it's no more. Wentz will be a part of this, this uh, fix. So you trade Wentz. Whatever you get for him, whatever. It's a bonus. And I'm not sure if I've said this on here, but I think I've said it to you. My next step is... It's a, you know, there's a ton of teams in the market for a quarterback. You also trade Jalen Hurts because I think that he is on a rookie contract. He was a second rounder, so he's being paid even less than a first round rookie quarterback. So uh, I think that he showed enough in his uh, four games that he played this year that a team looks at him and says, okay, we have a dual threat quarterback. You know, obviously he can run. He he's not necessarily Lamar Jackson esque, but he can he can move. Looks like he's got a nice little arm. He can throw, and I think that there are enough teams out there that are looking for that style of quarterback. I mean, that's that's what Justin Fields looks like, right? I mean, Justin Fields might be the better prospect, but that's the same kind of comparison. They're mobile quarterbacks. They have nice arms, and I think that you could get a first round pick back for him. And I think that that's the way to go because once you're taking on this dead cap hit from Carson Wentz, I mean, to some extent, like you're kind of conceding that you're not going to be great for a year or two. Like you, you can't be. Your money like is dried up. You can't field a 180 million dollar team for 145 million dollars. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't think it would necessarily be fair to Jalen Hurts to have him here. And I think that all of that kind of being taken into account, you're going to get some return for Carson Wentz. You're going to, if if you go this route, you get a nice return for Jalen Hurts, probably at least a first round pick because of, you know, he's already shown a little bit of what he can do. And now you have yourself a nice little storage of picks that you can use. And Hey, you already have the sixth pick in this draft. Maybe you can, you can make a package, move up to number two. If you really like Zach Wilson, go ahead and draft Zach Wilson. If you really like Justin Fields, go ahead. I mean, Sharif, I've been a, I've been a big Trevor Lawrence fan, but the truth is, is that pretty much since coming out of high school, Trevor Lawrence and Zach, uh, not, not Zach Wilson, sorry, Justin Fields have been like neck and neck, 1A and 1B. Like they have been talked about in the same breath for so long. Justin Fields is a very good quarterback prospect, and I know that there's that Ohio State quarterback stigma, and it's 
it's a thing. Like they have not had a good track record of success in the NFL. But I do think that Justin Fields is a little different. Um, he's not he's not Trevor Lawrence to me, but I think he's a good prospect. And uh, maybe you could make that trade up in the draft. You kind of start over, clean slate, get just get all of that drama out of the locker room, fret, uh, get a fresh start. And that's how I would approach it personally. I don't think that's how the Eagles will, but I think that that would be a nice clean slate to to kind of start over. So. There's our full contact podcast for today. I guess we'll see in the coming days up until March 17th where Wentz gets traded to and if he gets traded at all. Uh, before we go, Nick, anything you want to say? Um, I don't have much, so just follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Full Contact Pod. Um, been trying to do some tweeting out there for fantasy football and for dynasty. Um, but yeah, keep your, keep your eyes out for that. All right. Uh, my last, what I want to say is again, uh, thank you to anyone who is listening to our podcast and following us. We appreciate your support. Um, and we'll talk to you next week. Uh, Nick, why don't you hit us out with that track? You got it. <laughs>